All right, let's take our Bible and let's turn for our study to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. And if you're visiting tonight or if you haven't been with us for some time on a, on a Wednesday, we want to welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. And uh, what we do is we have a shorter time in the Word. I, I preach a shorter message. And we're going through the whole book of Psalms right now. And what it's doing is it's teaching us about God and different situations of life and how we can trust in God. And then it prepares us for a time of corporate church-wide prayer. So in the preaching of the word, God is speaking to us, and then we respond to him in prayer. And it's a wonderful, wonderful way that we can do that together as a church. Psalm 56, I I believe, will be a helpful psalm. If it is not relevant to you in your life right now, it may be tomorrow. So keep this psalm near at hand. I've titled it, In Your Troubles, Trust God's Promises. The title is a miktam of David when the Philistine seized him in Gath. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts against me are for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? And then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And then at the very end there, the conclusion is for the choir director, and then the tune that it was evidently sung to is set to Al-Tash-Heth, which was a tune that is lost to us, but they evidently knew what that song tune was. I remember a number of years ago, a man came to me for biblical counseling. He wasn't a part of our church. He had not been to our church before. It was a referral. And the issue that he presented was lying. I need help with my lying. After a number of sessions meeting with this man, I finally asked his wife to join with him to meet with me for a couple of biblical counseling sessions. I'll never forget it. The wife said, I just wish I could take him at his word. I just wish I could trust him. And when I heard her say that, my heart sank, and so would yours. 
my heart sank. I mean, in in tough times, she said, I just want to trust in him. When when, when our kids stray, I want to lean on my husband for leadership in our financial difficulties. I want to rely on his word in all the uncertainties that we have in our lives. I want to take my husband at his word. And I thought, what a sad condition. What a tragic condition to have a wife say, I just wish I could trust his word. But you know what? That can never be said of God. That can never be said of God. We, we can praise God for the faithful, reliable, true word of God. And when we read in the psalm in verse 4, and then again in verse 10, the word, word, in God whose word I praise, a better way to render that, I think, is promise. I will praise the promises of God. You can trust in God. You can lean on the promises of God. Let me just give you a few scriptures to encourage you as we begin. In Joshua 21, verse 45, Joshua said, Not one of the good promises of the Lord has failed. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Therefore, brethren, since we have these promises... Let us cleanse ourselves. Hebrews eleven thirty three. We as believers have obtained the promises. Galatians four twenty eight says that you and I are children of the promise. Ephesians three verse six says that we are fellow partakers of the promise through Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he made to us. What's the promise? Eternal life. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, as many as are the promises of God in him, meaning in Christ, they are all yes and amen. And then I love 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, God has given to us his precious and magnificent promises. You know, David wrote this psalm because he's going through a tough time. And when you're going through a tough time, people will go anywhere to find something to latch onto. It could be the good, bad, or the ugly. Anything to latch onto for some sort of hope and what they think is security. David wrote a psalm. He wrote a psalm, and if you look in the title, look at that Hebrew word at the very beginning. It's called a miktam of David. Do you see that there, a miktam? That word miktam in Hebrew means it is something worth keeping. It would be like saying, you need to treasure this up. You got to bottle it up in your heart. You got to store it and preserve it for the time of need. David said, you got to remember it. You got to download this. You got to make sure that you've got it near at hand when the difficulties come. And David wrote it when the Philistines seized him at Gath. And the context there is 1 Samuel chapter 21 when he was running for his life. When you read the context there, what I I find quite intriguing is there's three words that describe David at this time in his life. Number one, he's alone. Number two, he's desperate. And number three, he's really afraid. 
You ever been there? Alone, desperate, and afraid. And if you can say, yeah, I've been there, this is a psalm for you. This is God's eternal word for you. And the end, the conclusion of the psalm is for the choir director. David wrote it to be sung in the worship of God, kind of like we did tonight. We sang the psalm. Corey Ten Boom, we'll talk about her later. Corey Ten Boom said, you ought to let the promises of God shine on all of your problems. What a great way to put it. Let the promises of God shine on all of your problems. So Psalm 56, it is a divine song worth remembering. Maybe if you spend time each day at a computer and you're sending emails and you're making appointments, maybe think of it in this illustration. You want to save this psalm to the desktop of your mind so that you can easily access it. Keep it readily available so that at a click, you are right there at this psalm. And I want to keep it really simple so that we can treasure it up, we can remember it. We're going to do it in three words. Trouble, trust, and thanks. Trouble, trust, and thanks. So let's begin in verses 1 and 2 to begin with the word trouble. God's word is so divinely inspired because it tells it the way it really is. When there's trouble, it tells us trouble is there. This is a psalm for those who are given to fear, for those who find themselves afraid. You ever had somebody hound you or hunt down your words or try to ridicule you or slander you or fear chokes you? You feel enslaved to fear? Verses 1 and 2, David can relate. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. You got to get the Hebrew language. There's a picture here. There's an image that David is bringing out, and if it's, it's, it's a fast predator chasing the prey. Think of a cheetah, uh, another fast cat. Chasing the prey, hunting that prey down, oppressing that prey, trampling that prey, snapping at the heels of that prey. And if you look at verse 2, my foes have trampled upon me all day long. They are many who are fighting proudly against me. So he leaves the animal imagery, and now he turns to a military imagery. I have enemies that are attacking me, and they're doing it pridefully. They're arrogant in their attacks of me. We're going to come to this in a little bit, but just skip down to verse 5. Look at, look at what they're doing. I mean, look at, look at David's situation in verse 5. All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They're attacking. They lurk. They watch my steps. And they have waited to take my life. I mean, it's like they're, they're twisting my words. They want to kill me. It's happening all day long. They are lurking. They're hiding. They want to kill me. They're on the prowl looking for me. They want to destroy me. David had enemies like this when he was hiding in the Philistine city of Gath. 
Maybe you've had difficult times like this. Maybe you've had difficult circumstances like this where you feel like something is hounding you. Where you feel like something is chasing you. Where you feel caught, you feel trapped, you feel surrounded, you feel hemmed in. And maybe if it's not physical enemies, guess what? The master of all of this is the devil himself. He is a cunning deceiver. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is a hater. And he is the man who brings trouble. The angel who brings trouble. And David, David acknowledges in verse 7, because of their wickedness, O Lord, I want you to deal with them. Cast them forth, O Lord. I want you to deliver them over to your hand and put them down, O Lord. You deal with them. By the way, there's a huge encouragement at the beginning of verse 1. If you ever find yourself in David's shoes, you can cry out with David, be gracious. Lord, be gracious to me. Help me. God, I need your grace. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your might. I need your ability. You said my grace is sufficient for you. Be gracious to me. You know, God's grace is in full supply in all of your troubles. Never forget that. So David has trouble. But now in your outline, look at number two. So what do you do? I mean, trouble is around us. We get it. We understand the troubles of life. What do you do? What do we do when our children come to us and they're afraid at night? What do we do when somebody calls us up and they say, I'm having persistent nightmares and I can't sleep well? I'm fearful of this. I'm fearful of that. What do we do? How do we counsel another Christian? What kind of advice do we give to others? What would be wise biblical counsel? Look at what David does in verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. This is a willful choice. Joel Beakey nails it when he says, we glorify God by trusting in his promise despite our feelings. I I bet David didn't feel like trusting in God when he's on the hideout from Saul. But yet, it's not to minimize our feelings, it's not to ignore our feelings, but it's not to live by them. And as you choose to willfully resolve to trust in God, feelings will follow. But you don't follow your feelings. David says, I will put my trust in you. Trusting in God is a deliberate decision. It is an act of the will. We do what we know is right. And then verse 4. Verse 4, from what I'm continuing to learn in my study of the Puritans and the Reformers and the saints through church history, is that when you know the promises of God, it will change your life. And that's not an understatement. 
It will literally change your life. Look at verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, or that might be rightly rendered, in God, whose promise. The promise of God I am praising. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? I can praise God. I can trust in his promise. I can lean on his word. I can go to God and I can take a promise of scripture and it's like, it's like one of those gumball machines where the ball comes out and you get to eat it and chew on it and you enjoy it. But God's promises aren't just one gumball. It's infinite. It's infinite. It's infinite. It's a perfect supply of all that you could ever want and desire and need. Let me give you a few promises just to encourage you this evening. John 10, 28. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. John 15, 4. Jesus abides in you. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Jude 24, God keeps you from stumbling, and he will make you stand perfect and blameless with great joy on that day. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, your name is recorded in heaven. In John 15, 11, your joy is complete in Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ credited to you as you are still living your life. Romans 4, 5. The righteous lack no good thing from God. Psalm 34, 10. Did you hear that? The righteous lack no good thing from God. Ezekiel 36, 26. God has given you a new heart. Revelation 22, 20. Jesus is coming back. You are accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, verse 6. I mean, this is true. These are promises. You could take one of these and they could carry you through life and eternity. And yet God has given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in the Bible. If you're here, but you don't know Christ, and what I have just described in some of those scriptures are not true of you, and those promises are not yours, and you're not clinging to them, I call you, I urge you, I beg you this very evening to come to Christ, to turn and believe and trust in him. Because verse 8 tells us, look at this, look at verse 8. We can trust in our God. We can rely in our God. We can hope in his promises. Check out verse 8. You have taken account of my wanderings, Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? Did you know that this verse teaches that the image, the picture, is that God is aware and God cares and he bottles up your tears. He, he knows them. He's aware of them. 
God understands what you're going through. He he bottles them up. All of your wanderings, he knows it. All of your sufferings, he's aware of it. All of the tears that you have shed in your fears and your troubles and the worries of life, God is aware of all of them. And it's like they haven't even touched the ground. God catches all of your tears. He knows them. It's like they're written in God's book. He says in verse 9, my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. And then he goes in verse 9, this is what I know. This is what I know. Not this is how I feel. This is what, what my emotions are telling me. No, no, no. This is what I know in verse 9. What is it? That God is for me. This is amazing. Because who could ever be against us that would merit a moment's fear if we have infinite God for us? Who could seek any other ally besides God? Enemies may rise up against you, even Satan and all of his hosts, but God stands for you. Amazing. That is an amazing verse that every Christian can find encouragement in. I want to talk for just a couple of moments about the promises of God and how we can cling to the promises of God and how we ought to use the promises of God. Because I don't think the problem for maybe me and you is not that we don't know promises. We could probably roll a bunch of them off. We know promises. But do you use them? Do they benefit you? Do you pull them out when needed? To help you. I'm getting a bunch of this information from some study on the Puritans, on the promises. Listen to this. God's promises are so valuable, they are like ever-supplying words of promise from our great God. Ever-supplying words of grace. Ever-supplying words of love. Every promise in the Bible, the hundreds of them that you read, is God texting you, as it were, saying... I care for you. I'm for you. Think of it. Nothing is so excellent. Nothing is so precious. Nothing is so divine. Nothing is so sweet as a promise from God's very own mouth. It's like they're the unsearchable riches of Christ and the bonds of his love. So what's a promise? We could talk about a promise, but what is a promise? Well, a promise is a declaration of God's will, stating what he will give, or saying what evil he will take away. The greatness of the promises that we read in the Bible is that they all come from God. All the promises, they come from God. They are all guaranteed. It's like they're stamped with a guarantee in Christ. They are all yes and amen in him. They give us the right to things of infinite value. You may not have the right to much land or much property or much money or much inheritance, but one promise from God gives you an infinite inheritance. They are magnificent. They are precious. They are grounds for comfort in life. 
You see there in your outline, I give you some benefits. We need to know the promises. You need to know them. In your daily Bible reading, if there's a psalm or a proverb or a chapter or a scripture that that you're reading, and boy, that promise, it, it just like leaps off the page at you and your eye catches it. Jot that down. Know that promise. We need to believe in that promise. Number three, we need to apply the promise. I'm going to talk about how to do that in a moment. And then I think another thing we can do is pray the promises of God. Today I was at the hospital, gave a sheet of paper to someone with a hundred promises. You need to read this and pray these promises. Well, how do we use the promise? Okay, so, so we're going through tough times. We're going through difficulties. We're going through really difficult times of life. We know the promises of God. The problem is not what we know. It's how we benefit from them. So what do we do? Well, I think, number one, you see it there in your outline, we ought to meditate on them. Just take one. Don't, don't take 25, but take one. And just come at it from every direction. The wording, the language, the, the, the verbal tense. How does this look? What does it mean? What does it mean for me in my life right now? How can I think on it and pray on it? And meditating, just looking at it from every direction. You can have a particular promise to go to in those extreme times. In my counseling, I call it a fighter verse. Do you have a fighter verse? When the temptation comes, when the tough time comes, do you know that there's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man? And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Do you know that? Do you have a a promise that you can go to that I will, I will turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. Revive me according to your word, the Psalms say. Or whatever it might be. You can, you can have one and you can have a particular go-to promise in a time of need. Third, think of biblical examples where promises have been fulfilled. Biblical examples. You could, you could go to Abraham and see a lot of examples. You could go to Isaac and see more. You could go to Jacob and see his. And all through biblical revelation, you could see how God has made promises. And then you say with Joshua, not one promise has ever failed. Number five, or number four, you can be thankful for the smallest way that God has fulfilled a promise. Even just the smallest way that God has fulfilled it. Find that and thank the Lord for it. You can tell others how faithful God has been to you. We did it tonight with the Heisler family, sharing how God has provided housing for them. And we give thanks for how God is faithful to what he said he would do in the Gospel of Matthew. The birds don't worry. The flowers don't worry. But if God cares for them, will he not care for you? And he has shown himself to be faithful. We can also read and treasure the promises of God and think on these promises often. And there's so much more that we can do. But, but think on these uses. Maybe make it a matter of prayer tomorrow morning. Or as the week goes on and say, Lord, I want a promise and I want to use it well. I don't want to just have a band-aid. I want to apply it specifically where needed. 
Take a promise and not just have it in your hand, but apply it where needed for your good. Amazingly, and we go back to Psalm 56, when David is reflecting on God and reflecting on his promises, he said in verse 9, this I know that God is for me. I think the Apostle Paul, with all of his troubles, loved this psalm. One of the reasons why I think that is because Paul said in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, where did he get that? But from Psalm 56, this I know that God is for me. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So, church, the simple application is we have every reason to trust God. The first heading is the trouble. The second heading, the second word is trust. Trust in what? Not in yourself. Not in a new environment, not in a new situation, but trust in the promise of God specifically. And then third, you see it in your outline there, it's the word thanks. The word thanks. I love how the psalm ends in verse 12. It's very simple. It's very simple. David says, your vows are binding upon me. Or maybe another way to think of it is, I'm going to perform my vows to you. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to be a man of thanks to you, O God. Verse 13, because you've delivered my soul, you've delivered my feet from stumbling. Why? So that I may walk before God. The idea in the Hebrew You'll you'll know this phrase when I say it. It's walking with God. Noah walked with God. Before him, Enoch walked with God. That's what David is saying. God, you have delivered my life so that I might walk with God. Fellowship, closeness, communion with the living God, enjoyment of the nearness of God, enjoyment in verse 13, the very end, in the light of the living. As long as I have life, I am enjoying the light of God. I think Jesus may have rephrased this in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. What greater joy is there than to have communion with God, nearness to God? What greater privilege is there than to walk in the presence of God? Christian, as we draw this to a close, ponder this for a sec. Jesus Jesus loves you. He is for you. He died for you. He is with you. He has given you a treasure chest of infinite promises. It's like God opened the treasure chest and he says, come, come and take as much as you want. Or maybe in a home metaphor, it's like he opens the fridge and he says, take as much as you can take. 
His is an ocean of supply of divine promises. Come and drink of the fullness. Take and use and benefit from the promises of God. We can do that, can't we? Probably in your mind, you're thinking of promises. You're thinking of your favorite scripture. You're thinking of scriptures that God has used to carry you through difficulties in life. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. My God will supply all of your riches in Christ Jesus. Whatever it could be. Whatever it could be. Hold on to those promises. Know them. Love them. Cherish them. And use them well. Corrie ten Boom, as you may be aware of her, she was arrested and imprisoned in Germany during the times and the days of World War II. And she was hiding and helping and serving and providing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Jewish men and women. On one occasion, she said, God has plans and not problems for your life. We might think it's a problem. I got a problem. I got a huge problem. But no, from God's perspective, he has plans for our life, not problems. She encouraged others who were going through suffering. She encouraged others who were found and who were caught. She encouraged them by saying, quote, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's a good word. Because there is an unknown future. We could worry about that all day long. And yet the word and the counsel of Scripture that even Corey Ten Boom would counsel, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to trust your unknown future to a known God. And I think looking to the promises of God will be a great help and a great benefit and a great encouragement as we do that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and specifically for your promises. There are many, hundreds, hundreds, O oh, merciful Father, that you've given. Even as we go from here tonight in the car with our family or in the car with our spouse, Or tonight as we're going to bed or tomorrow morning when we rise, help us to come and cling and rely upon your promises. How great you are to give us infinite supplies of grace that we need. We thank you in Jesus' name.